conversations it's uh i mean we're really working out some of these like thoughts and ideas in in real time it's just which is kind of interesting like going back and um listening to i was just saying before i hit record that i listened to the last conversation and wanted to do a bit of a of a follow-up in the last uh, episode was we titled it existentialism and the meaning of life. So where do we follow up to that? I feel like there's so much more well, to say. You so I, I actually didn't go back and listen to some of it, but what were your impressions listening it. to it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were your impressions from it? What uh, what what did you what did you learn from yourself in, in the conversation? Um, it's it's strange because I think my point that I was trying to say and maybe understand a bit better for myself is around the meaning of life in this thing of nihilism, getting to this place where you don't essentially think like life is worth living, there's no meaning. And uh, obviously, you and I agree, not a not a good place to be along with many, many others. But it's important to, I think, in some way recognize that you could be there. Like, it's possible to see the world or see moments of your life in that way. So it's like the meaning of life. And God, we, we just covered so... It's such a big question. Um but we covered so many different things. We were talking about different wisdom traditions. If someone adopts a particular wisdom tradition, that helps shape their particular meaning of life. If someone's a Christian, a Buddhist, a Stoic, whatever it may be, those things can help one to make, make meaning, if you will. But it's possible to not be in that place or not necessarily choose that. And um, we talked about, what, what's the name of the show that we both like? I always forget the name. The nihilistic character. Afterlife? Yeah, Afterlife. And it's it's weird how the character loses his wife you know, he doesn't have any kids. He loses a loved one. And that grieving process, you know, he's he's in a dark place. But it seems like, like that can happen for many of us. Maybe it's not losing a loved one. Maybe you lose a job, you know, that you really dedicated a number of years to. There are these things, and it's like... um when thinking about the meaning of life in this idea of creating a life or making meaning that you're never done. It's not a thing of where you just necessarily make a meaningful life and you know, you're, <laughs> you're off to the races in a way. Um, it could, could be the case. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends. Everybody's different. But it is possible that there are these experiences and setbacks and, you know, complexities of life that can, in a way, kind of zap that particular view and belief that you that you had or shake your foundation, however you might say it. For sure, man. Uh, yeah, I think what you're talking about, maybe I would call it nihilistic falls or falls into nihilism when, mm. when you have like a, you know, your, your, your wife dies too early or maybe your child dies or something like that. And you have these yeah. falls 
these falls into nihilism. And I think, I think the antidote to that is to voluntarily confront reality each and every day. So, you know, this guy presumably before we didn't really see in the, in the show what happened, what he was like before other than through flashbacks, but presumably, you know, he had a great relationship with his wife and they were, you know, had, had this just this great bond. And I would venture to guess that even though they were really enjoying each other, he probably didn't think too often that one of us could get cancer tomorrow and die. Mm. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's a reality that that's built into the fabric of reality that, that things are impermanent and that we, we do move on. And, you know, it's one of those things is like, you know, I think about this, uh, semi-frequently with, you know, my parents passing away, cause that's something that's going to happen. And, uh, I think that's, that's something that everyone has to go through. That's really, really tough to go through. But I think the worst thing you can do is lie to yourself and say, it's never going to happen. And it's like, you just convince yourself that you're in this romantic dream, which we, we do all the time, I think. Uh, and so I, I think maybe, um, by facing reality, it's not that you stop the the pain from happening, but maybe you stop the existential suffering from truly happening by by accepting reality um, as it is. Uh, and, and and you know, just just another little quick thing I wanted to mention there is I think what's interesting about afterlife that I realized when you were talking there is that like the meaning of life it it changes in its immediate manifestation. So this guy the meaning of his life was that relationship with his wife that's that's what it was he didn't have any children he had a good decent relationship with his parents from what it seemed but wasn't really too much into his work was really into this relationship with his wife and that was his meaning and he he goes through this grieving phase where he was telling himself that he lost that meaning but at the end of it the interesting thing that happens is he realized that well, actually, there is more meaning to be found in life. And it, it's not just in this relationship with my wife, but it's with it's in relationships, period. And so at the end of it, he he go he walks off into the sunset after helping a friend, you know, go on a first date with someone and helping this person and helping that person. And so even though the the immediate, the superficial quote quote, you know, meaning of life. Uh, changed, I think what he realizes is that there's something that's even higher than that. And that's for him, it was the relationships and that we're, we're here to live for each other. So um, yeah, it's cool, man. There's so much wisdom in that show. I, I got to watch it again. It would be the third time for me, but it's so good. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far into it. I want to, I want to chat about what we're, what we've been reading and, and watching before we get into the, the actual episode. Um, but maybe something to think about is, um, in, in wisdom traditions, like Buddhism, for example, they talk about like this impermanence thing that we all know to be true and that you're talking about there and the, the suffering comes from essentially our, to put it simply, like our, our our clinging, our attachment, grasping to things that are impermanent, you know, and the Stoics talk about these things and man, some of those things, that writing, I would think to this particular, um, character, it's Ricky Gervais, right? That's yeah. his name played by Ricky Gervais, like Epictetus and the, you know, talking about the, your child passing and using an analogy like a cup or something like that, like a cup breaks, man, it seems, seems cold to someone in that situation. You know, it's like, you can read it if you're not. I, I just wonder, it does seem like there is obviously wisdom in the grieving process as well. And in, in grieving this particular loss um you know in a way love like this character he really loved his wife 
I think in a healthy way, in a way this love there, there is, um, I wonder, and I'm not super familiar with, with Buddhism and stuff like that. I'm, I'm sure someone that is a, is a scholar in this stuff could maybe speak about healthy attachment and stuff like that. Um, versus, you know, clinging and grasping and things like that, maybe categorized as unhealthy, but it, you know, it's an interesting thing. And same thing in terms of Seneca with some of his letters of, I don't know, you know, we're all just so different, like in terms of who's to say how long that particular grieving process is, is uh, supposed to take and what it's supposed to, to look like. Cause in the way, in a way he comes out uh, you know, the other side of that, like you say, in in a bit of a bit of a better place. You know, he he comes out of that and sees a bit of a broader perspective. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, let's dig more into that. Yeah. I'll follow up to that after we talk about what we're reading about that. Yeah, let's um, let's do it. Not to start too heavy. I think it's too late for that. But. <laughs> too late. <laughs> in the I've deep been, water. Uh, we'll go back to the shallow waters here. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll tread we'll tread a little bit, see what happens. But no, I've been reading um, uh, Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership, which nice. is Jocko is a cool guy. I everything I hear him say, I'm like, that's right on, man. But I, I've 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 never really been into his podcast. Like I read a couple of his books, and I hear him from time to time. But I think I'm gonna start being a Jocko guy for a little bit because he's, uh, man, like I, I don't know anyone else that has a better leadership philosophy than him. Um, and he's a, and he's a cool dude. And he's one of these guys that's interestingly enough, you can tell that there's this freaking badass under there. Like even like he's, he, he seems to me, he seems like this guy that like he can F shit up real fast, but he's very much in control, but he like, he's got this monster inside that he's just tamed and, uh, and, and a very, very humble dude and got a great philosophy, but, but also very interesting in how just how formidable he seems at the same time. Yeah. So what have you been reading? Um, well, just to say one thing, especially for the, for the listeners in the way of that extreme ownership, he did a follow-up book to that, the dichotomy of yes. leadership, which I love this type of stuff. We we've talked about it many times of where this thing of the middle way or this both and thinking where it's like, and what we're talking about in the way of paradoxically speaking, it very much connects with that of like structure, like, and flexibility, you know, it's like he can hold both of these things. And he outlines that in uh, the dichotomy of, of leadership, which is really good. Not a lot of people, I think, even that right in this space that are, you know, in academia and stuff touch on some of mm. that stuff. So it's definitely like so much practical wisdom. Well, that's why it gets down to that word that you said is wisdom. That's why wisdom yeah. is is the ultimate virtue because all these paradoxes, <clears throat> like what do you need to navigate that space in between two contradictory viewpoints? Like you need wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. you can't you can't navigate a paradox without wisdom. Yeah. And that's that's why he's such a great uh, great leader. And it's uh to touch on one thing, I think we've chatted about it before. But in the way of counterintuitive, like sometimes the wisdom, the most practical, wisest thing you can do is very counterintuitive to our initial reaction. Like he says, if, um, you know, he's someone that's in like mixed martial arts, been, you know what I mean, doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and all, all of this stuff his whole life for anyone that's not familiar. But he says if he found himself in a dark alley and somebody wanting to basically kind of come after him or find himself or someone wanting to get physical with him, he's going to run, you know, and he outlines why that is, why that's the wisest response of we, we run so, so good. And people can check that out, but it's like our brain doesn't even want to think of that. Some of those counterintuitive or paradoxical type of things of, you know, things that we talk about here, it's, it's, it's weird how often times that is, uh, 
you know, the wisest response, the thing that we maybe don't think of. Um, how about in the way of watching? Have you seen uh, the Netflix documentary on uh, Arnold? No, I got to no. watch it, though. How dare you? I know. Um, <laughs> I, I won't Arnold. spoil <laughs> Yeah, I won't spoil it, but I, I do want to um, mention and kind of get your thoughts on one thing that he, he says. So it's three episodes. They break it down. I think uh, they title them like Athlete, Actor, American. And towards the end, you know, he's kind of reflecting on his life a little bit and talking about these things. And he, he talks about his infidelity. He had a, um, a relationship for someone that worked like in the house, um, and ended up having a, a child with this person that worked for the family and ended up ending his, his marriage and stuff like that. And Obviously, you can assume that he's extremely competitive, extremely driven. You know, he's not someone that wants to to lose and fail at things. But at the end, he differentiates major failure from failure, which I thought was really interesting. And he says this infidelity, you know, this thing that basically ended his you know, 30 plus year marriage and things like that. You know, he called that, that's a major failure in his life. He says like, you know, you lose in a bodybuilding competition. Yeah, that that's a failure, but it's not a major failure. You know, he says this was a major failure. And it seems like that would be an important thing to think about, like, and determine for ourselves, like, man, you know, it's like failing at things is just part of life. I mean, th- th- that that's going to happen. We're going to deal with setbacks. But sometimes, like, you know, if we can maybe get clear about what would be a major failure, like where you're at the end of your life, you know, 80 years old or something like that, however old he is, you know, what are what are those? And it seems like getting clear on that, maybe you could better avoid it. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the stoic idea on this is that the only, the only failure really is, is, is failure of character. And when you're talking about something like an infidelity, I mean, you know, there's levels to that as well, which, which is also debatable because the, the stoics also have this dogmatic idea in some sense that, you know, there's, there's no, there's no scale. Like it's a binary system. Either, either you're, <laughs> either you're a virtuous or you're not. It's a zero or a one, but uh, I think in practicality there, there are levels to this stuff, uh, and and yeah, I, I would agree. I think that there's certain there's certain failures that uh, that are really hard to come by, and I think some some failures are I don't think you can come back from, uh, which I know you and I slightly disagree on that, but uh, yeah, it is it is uh, it's interesting and and sad, and and you you also wonder. So he's at the end of his life, and he's you know he's thinking about this. And, um, yeah, man, like what, what a place that you don't want to be. Right. And like you and I spoke a bit in the past about regret and, you know, you, you, you can imagine maybe like a, a, a similar thing. You can imagine regret and then you could imagine major regret and perhaps a regret is, well, you know, some, I, I wish I would have, I don't know, tried a different sport or something like that. I feel like I probably would enjoyed that sport a bit better than this one. But then like a major regret is, you know, I, I gave up my 30-year marriage for a, a, a short pleasure experience. You know, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a major regret. And maybe that, that's one that you can probably philosophize away in some, to some degree, but certainly it's a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah, and like how long can that list be, you know, in the way of these there's this is a, a major failure. This is something, you know, non-negotiable that I'm, that I'm going to allow myself to impart on because it's difficult. You know, if that list is a dozen, <laughs> a dozen different things, you know, it's un- unlikely that you're going to be able to, uh, you know, follow, follow those things. Um, but it, it's, I, I find it fascinating that end of life, clarity a little bit 
you know, if somebody 80 years old or, you know, in their 70s or whatever it may be, just reflecting on some of those um, things. And it seems like it's it's wise to flip that around, start, you know, if you can, um, which is pretty difficult to think about the future, future you. How can you do things today? you know, that are, that are aligned with that, that future you fate permitting and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a cool trick to this actually that I learned from, um, Barbell Buddha, who's a, he was a powerlifter that was a powerlifter turned philosopher. And he, he died really young, like mid thirties or something. But, uh, he, he wrote several short books and in one of the books he describes this this mental exercise he went through where he basically shows up to a bar and sitting at the bar is himself 40 years in the future. And he's, he's having a conversation with his future self and he's, he's getting feedback. Like he's, he's like, you know, what should I do with my life now? And, and his older self is, is responding to him. And, um, What's interesting about that, so I actually did that myself. I went through that mental exercise. And what's interesting about that is you get pretty damn good answers. Like if you put if you if you actually journal on that and think hard on that, talking to your future self and what they would say to you now, knowing what they're going to know in the future, you get a you get some interesting answers that seem pretty accurate. They seem pretty, pretty right. Uh and it's a weird thing because maybe at maybe at some level you know, the younger we are, the less confidence we have in what the path is, even though on the deepest of levels, we, we have an understanding on that. Uh, and, and I still get this, I still get this with my, uh, with my father sometimes, sometimes I'll, if I'm dealing with a particularly difficult situation, I'll know what I got to do. I'll know the answer to the problem, but I still got to hear my dad say it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, you can think of your father in some sense, it's not always true, but you know, he's kind of like the, he's kind of like who you're going to be in the future to some degree, right? It obviously you're a completely different person, but, uh, and, and it depends how similar you guys are, but I'm, I'm very similar to, to my old man. Um, and what a weird thing, because I, I, I know what he's going to say and I know what the answer is, but I still need to hear him say it sometimes, you know, and it's, it's this weird thing that we like, why don't we have confidence in our intuition? that that we kind of know is right. <laughs> yeah. And we get reaffirmed as being right, but we still we still need to we need something else, right? I I totally dig that story of the sitting next to yourself in the in the bar. It's fascinating the uh, the wisdom and the power of our own imagination hmm. to actually even say to go back to the um like arnold example you know you could actually picture say um if anyone listening like say you identify that major failure you know something that you just i just i just don't want this to be the case when i'm you know x decades from from now you know on my end of life type of stuff you can actually experience it and feel what it would feel like. Feel a bit of the 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 pain of you know of making some sort of mistake like that. Um, and obviously, I, I don't get too much into like some of the visualization stuff. I mean, there's the flip side of that. You think of. Uh, Olympians that work with all of these, uh, you know, super skilled psychologists and stuff like that of, you know, visualing thing, visualizing, excuse me, things going well. Um, and I think there's research that, that backs that up to a, to a certain extent. But the, the thing is with the uh, Olympians, obviously they're putting in the work as well. You know, they're working out every, every day. So it's, it's a bit of that, but like the other side of that, of, um, you know, getting super, super clear of like the type of life that you don't want to live or the, the type of things 
that as you're navigating the present moment, that you want to be super mindful uh, in avoiding. And you still might not be able to. I mean, it's still, you know, there's no perfect thing. Um, but but maybe that's the way of the um, premeditatio malorum. You know, a lot of people talk about it's about, um, you know, preparing yourself for this particular setback. But also, it seems to me like it's a way to actually avoid a particular thing. You know, it's like thinking about what might go wrong and you kind of back channel your way back and you can sometimes simply avoid some of these things. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great practice and it, and it does work, you know, that, that practice of premeditation of evil evils, hundred percent. It, it works and it's, it's more, the value is more in you thinking things through as opposed to you coming up with a, you know, an, a, an infinite list of, if this happens, I'll do this. If this happens, I'll do this. No, the, the idea is that you're, you're mentally preparing for that. That's where the true value is. Um, and you know, what's interesting too, kind of along these lines is I heard someone say the other day that there's no such thing as starting over Mm. because you, you know, if you incorporate what you're learning through your failures, even if, you know, you start a new company, right? You're five years into it, made mistakes, you've, and then eventually the thing just falls apart, right? He's like, oh, damn, I got to start over. But you're not actually starting over. It's like, so it, got, it really got me thinking. It's like, there's no such thing as starting over. If you think about it through the lens of of, of virtue and, and wisdom, as long as you're learning from your failures and moving forward, there's there's no such thing as starting over. You know, you're, you're, this, you're this being that's just learning and growing throughout life. And it's like, there's no going back, man, whether yeah. you want, to, whether you'd like to or not. Well, and something you said where we differ a little bit in the way of um, something you can come back from, um, I, in a way, uh, yeah, you, you can't come back from that in the way of you can't undo that when you, you know, you commit that major failure, like it's done in the way of where we differ a little bit, you know, is in the way of can you forgive yourself and move on? But it is an important thing of like, yeah, no, there's no undoing it. You know, there's no, it's like once it's in the past, it's essentially in that category of not up to us anymore. Like it's been, Mm -hmm. it's been done. Um, Which is from one perspective, a, positive thing and a good thing we're becoming every day but from another perspective in the way of you know if you do make a a, you know a big mistake something that you regret you do you know find yourself in you know carrying out a bit of darkness if you will it's uh it's been done you know like the only the only move at that point is to how do you make sense of it? How do you learn from it? How do you forgive yourself and, you know, try not to, to do the same thing moving forward, which is challenging. Yeah. There's a great scene on this, which kind of illustrates, I never really made this connection actually in the, in, in Lord of the Rings where they're deciding on which way to go. They basically, they can go over the mountain or they can go under the mountain. This is in the first movie for uh, you nerds out there. And, um, they decide to go under the mountain. But as they're going, they're trying to unlock the door and one of the guys, he's throwing rocks in the the pond, the big lake that's there. And um, turns out there's a big ass monster under there, right? <laughs> so anyways, they get they get the door open and they all venture in through the door and then this monster just comes out and starts attacking them. So they fight him off and then they, you know, the only place they can go is 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 under the cave, like in this in this doorway. And the monster climbs up and just blocks off the whole door, right? And then it's pitch black. Pitch black. Can't see a freaking thing, right? So, you know, the the wizard there, he's the wise one. He turns on his light and he says, well, we got no choice now. We got to move forward. It's like, we got no choice. Like, Because they were debating, like, no, like, what are we doing here? What are we going under this mountain? We should go over the mountain. And some were saying, no, like, under under the mountain is the way to go. It's like... You know, 
one of the guys made a mistake. Uh, uh, you could call that a major failure in some sense because he he uh, he disturbed the peace for no reason, and that that resulted in you know don't don't wake up sleeping babies is, is kind of the lesson there, and um, and yeah, I mean that that's the whole that's the whole point is that sometimes you 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 fail in such a way that removes the potential for you to go back anymore. You and you have to move forward. So regardless of how dark it is and regardless how scary it is, it's like, dude, you got no choice. So mm. let's, let's move forward. And that, man, it's so hard to do though, because eh? you, you could get caught sitting on that rock pile under that mountain thinking, God damn it. Why did I throw that stone in that pond? Why, yeah. what the hell was I thinking? But how helpful is that? Yeah. And maybe that's a great transition into the conversation. I know we were just texting back and forth a little bit. I kind of requested the uh, a bit of a follow-up to, to the last conversation. Um, but in the way of responsibility, you know, there's so much, it seems to be such a critical aspect of making meaning in life. Like that, that's that thing of what you're talking about, that story, you know, you make a particular act, a move, you decide to go down this particular path. Like now, like oftentimes it seems like in life, like the move that can be so difficult is it's like standing up straight, you know, and like moving your way forward, like taking responsibility for whatever it is. And sometimes these things are like outside of our control. Um, like this story of go over or go down. Essentially, it's like a 50-50 thing. You know, there's a bit of luck. And still, like you've got to take responsibility, which is obviously a theme in the in the book that you mentioned of, of extreme ownership. It's about taking this radical responsibility um, for 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 life, like for leading your life. So difficult sometimes. Yeah, it is. And and that is a that is a paradox too, because you know, Jocko, that whole book, Extreme Ownership, is everything is your fault. Literally everything that goes wrong is your fault. And you could you could think, well, where the hell is the dichotomy of control in that statement, right? Um and and this is where I I think maybe Jocko doesn't address this enough. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm in the middle of the book and I have read some of his stuff before, but, but that extreme ownership, really all that is, is you have to maximize your agency in this situation. That's all that is, right? And he acknowledges that there are things that are ultimately outside of your control, but you're better off assuming that you do have some control over it as opposed to not because you know, it's one of these situations where it's better to be anxious about something that's outside of your control than it is to not be about, not be anxious about something that is within your control that's going to kill you, right? So th this is why it's so difficult because you have to find that balance where, yes, you do take extreme ownership over everything, but then wisdom teaches you that what actually is outside of your control but that line it's very hard to discern and and that's why people are so filled with anxiety because they can't discern that line between what is up to them and what's not up to them or they can't come to terms with what is not up to them yeah and it seems like another way you could say the extreme ownership or radical responsibility you could say it another way in the um from I think a maybe a slightly different perspective of flexibility or adaptability because it's like you choose to go under you know you choose a particular path like well you just did it you you weren't quite aware of the circumstances and there's so many things that are outside of our control but you have to adapt to whatever it is that does come up. Sometimes it's nature. Sometimes it's this. Sometimes it's that. It's like, 
what is the move? You know, the, well, the move is <laughs> you, you have to adapt. Like if you're, um, you know, to use some sort of, uh, you know, sailing analogy or something like that, which I know nothing about, but you, but you do, you know, as the circumstances change, as the wind changes, like you're adapting, you know, you're not, it's like knowing when to, to resist. And, um, and that's what I think is sometimes confusing about say living in accordance with nature, living in the flow of life, these wisdom traditions, some of that language of kind of being, um, like the bamboo, it, well, it doesn't mean that you're just constantly, you know, living however, you know, the wind blows you, you know, you're not just this like wet noodle. Um, you know, there is this thing of where we're leading our life, we're making meaning, we're choosing our particular path in a way, but yet you have to discern and you have to know when to adapt when, you know, what obstacles are obstacles that you go through, what obstacles are ones that you actually go around. So it, it's, it's much more complicated than, uh, I, I think some people make it maybe in like mm -hmm. a traditional kind of self-help book. Sometimes it's, uh, the way it's written, some sort of six steps to something. Oftentimes in my experience, it's much more complicated. Hmm. No, 100%. Everything's so complicated and when you get nuanced. Uh, the sailing thing is cool because the, the interesting thing about sailing is that you can, you can move forward despite all the forces being against you. And that's kind of a romantic idea, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. It, like, it's actually true in sailing. The thing is, is that it's more risky. Uh, you are likely going to get there more slowly, but you can, you can move forward despite the wind being against you, despite the waves being against you, you know, um, at the same time, mother nature can always give you a tsunami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there, there, you know, all that has to be grounded in humility, which, which I, I think is, is equally as important. Um, but it is, it is kind of an interesting thing. It's a cool thing that, uh, yeah, no matter what's against you, you, you can move forward, but you also got to understand that if mother nature wants you on the bottom of the ocean, she's going to put you there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so difficult. Cause then it's like, how do you know when to, um, head back to port, you mm. know, cause they're like, there are those. There are those times of like when the, the risk is, is literally too high for, for what you're particularly doing, um, which it seems like the, this word, I don't, I, I, I like the word discernment, which is often connect with, connected with Christianity and stuff like that. But I think it, it can be used in any sort of way of how do you, how do you discern? How do you know when to, when to do this, when to do that? Um, and obviously things are happening sometimes so, so quickly that it's, it's what makes it challenging. Cause it's, uh, it's difficult to, uh, discern quickly. And, and sometimes you're just going to make mistakes and you adapt again and you make adjustments, but you, you know, keep moving, moving forward if that's the, if that's the path. But I wanted to get your take on, um, I made some notes of, uh, a book I just started reading. I'm probably only 25% of the way through, but loving it. Uh, it's called the courage to create. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's by the existential psychologist who passed a long time ago. Uh, Rollo may, I read his book, the meaning of anxiety. And it's, it's kind of connected, like the title is connected with uh, Paul Tillich's book, The Courage to Be, which mm. is a super difficult read, uh, but, a, but a good one, I think. And it's like the courage to live in a way, you know, from a, a basic sense, like everything that we're talking about, like just the making meaning, 
essentially it's like a creative pursuit, which I, I totally agree with these existentialists, how they really stress the creativity portion of it. Because that, that little thing of say sailing, for example, or, you know, just as a, as an analogy to life, you know, there's a bit of like creativity. You have to think about it. Like this, now that, you know, it's like, everything's kind of moving around. You're, you're doing this, you know, I, I like this, this idea of creating a life, like the courage to live or the courage to, to lead a life, if you will. And, um, he talks about what, uh, what many of the existential and he's much more modern than, um, you know, older figures. So you're talking, um, yeah, it'd be a 20th century type of stuff. So yeah, like 50 years ago. Um, but they talk a lot about despair, you know, so it's like you're essentially going to experience despair. It's like living, you're just going to experience it. And then courage is essentially required this foundational thing in the face of this despair, you know, this venturing Kierkegaard says something like, you know, to venture or to lead a life causes despair, but not to do it is to simply like lose your life. You know, it's to simply maybe what you were saying that fall into nihilism type of thing. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot there, man. I know. Ramble over. Do you think, uh, do you think creativity is like navigating the unknown? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in a way, like the unknown is just, it's everything. It's like Seneca said, like the future lies in uncertainty. It's like the unknown, the uncertainty you know, I'm, I'm on that soapbox. Like I'm, I'm drinking that Kool-Aid in the way of, of it being extremely important, not in the way of, I don't know. It's like, you know how everything can go too far, not in the way of some sort of like extreme skeptic, but, um, maybe what would be the middle, middle way there? Um, yeah, maybe you have like certainty on, on one side and, and then on the other, this like extreme, extreme skepticism type of stuff. I think there is some sort of middle way there of, of realizing that it's simply the future lies in uncertainty. We don't exactly know how life is going to unfold, which requires us to make meaning you know, lead our life, take responsibility, be adaptable, and, you know, have a bit of clarity on what matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think adaptability is, is important um, because of the idea that nothing stays the same ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but you know, that's, that's one of those things about life that can depress you if you think about it, like, God damn, like I got shit going well now and this too shall pass, but, but then you can think about, well, you, that is also true when you're a nihilist, you know, and if you, if, if you lose your wife and you're going through this nihilistic phase and you're grieving severely, this too shall pass as well. So I think that can work for you and against you. And it's probably better to take the stoic approach and not really consider that good or bad, but just, just a just a fact of reality that things do, you know, inherently change just by the nature of reality. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. Like you, you could even argue that life is about not becoming nihilistic, <laughs> right? Like if there's one thing you can avoid that you should avoid is probably nihilism. And then maybe not as much, but 
probably also severely is avoid dogmatism, right? Because that's also not good. It's like those, you know, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Something that's strange for me is, um, like you think of, um, subjectivism and not, not necessarily a good, a good thing, you know, like sometimes Nietzsche is, uh, labeled that and and maybe maybe he is and I, I think maybe it came up in the last conversation but um you know he says that there is an objective truth but it, it's it's not like we're able to see it or we might not be you know able to to see it um so in a way like many people that talk about this stuff, like the meaning of life. And it's important to acknowledge that there is some objective truth. But like in a way of what you were saying there, it's like, ah, things are going well for me, you know, or it's important, like, you know, reframing, nothing is, you know, really like good or bad. It's a strange thing. Um, like I, you just, you know that I, I just traveled a bit and, and went to Mexico and stuff like that. And you, you travel around and it's like the English language, you know, it's like the words that we're using, you go to some other country and it's a whole nother language. Like the words that you're using literally mean nothing. You know, like that's a strange thing. And I think it connects in a way with even the thing of uh, like things are going well for me. Well, to someone else, maybe they're not like someone else could perceive that same situation, the absolute opposite. And then you take another person and that person could perceive the situation like they just hit the lottery, like things are absolutely going amazing. And I don't know, it's, it seems to be an important thing. Like in Zen, they seem to stress this idea of like words being constructs and coming to the understanding, like, obviously we need them. We need language to have a conversation, obviously. So it's not like going to this extreme of not needing it, but like understanding the limits of language and really reminding yourself that yeah, it's just constructs. Like somebody made it up at one, <laughs> at one, one time. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I, I realized this a lot when I was living in Quebec because yeah, yeah, French, French is pretty similar to English in in, in some ways. I mean, it uses a similar alphabet, but but uh, I I just got to the point in learning French where. I could understand how having a different language actually makes you think differently. Yeah. Like I, I wasn't nearly there, but I, I felt it. Like I kind of dipped my toe into it and I was like, oh shit. Like just, just the way that different languages are structured and everything, you, man, you just think about things differently. I mean, you can imagine like in Russia, in Russian, they got like, you know, seven words for one word that we have in English. Yeah. Not, not all words, but you know, a particular thing. And it's like the concepts don't exist. So you and I think about, um, well, okay, well, here's, here's a great example in French. They have, uh, uh, je t'aime, which means I love you. It translates directly to, I like you, but they don't really have a word for, I like you. Mm. So if I were to say to you, Josh, hey, hey, man, I like you. You'd be like, oh, that's that's a nice thing to say. If I were to say, hey, Josh, I love you. That's a completely different thing. Like there's a there's yeah. much more depth to that. That like concept or the love concept, it it doesn't exist in French. And so you, you think about like you and I, we take that for granted that that's that everyone knows what that means, right? That that there is there there's different meanings here between like and love. But yeah. to some people. 
they have no idea. Like, what do you, what the hell are you talking about? The, that, that concept doesn't even exist. So then you think, well, does it exist? <laughs> yeah. Is that a construct of our construct of our language? Is that a, or is that built into objective reality or, you know, it's a, it's, it, it is a weird thing. Yeah. And it, it does seem like it influences, uh, it has to influence like the culture and actions of certain, of certain people. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, I always like to plug married at first sight. So this is my married at first sight plug. How th- this, this word of love in, in a relationship thing. And I'm sure it shows, shows up in many relationships as this, like, when do you start saying this thing? And it's like this, this big word of where you tell each other that you, you love each other. And then you read C.S. Lewis's book, like the four loves where they have all these different words for love because it's like a really big word and has all these different, you know, meanings and stuff like that. And, um, that's a strange thing that based on the language of it, and it's like, you know, this kind of word that you maybe hold up on a, on a pedestal is, um, a strange, it's a strange thing. It seems like there's a, um, you know, in a, in a way, it's like there's limits to language, you know, like on the, on the other side, but then it's like when you, when you have it, it's, it's God, that's, that's strange. I don't Mm -hmm. exactly know how to say what I'm, what I'm trying to articulate, like in a way from the Zen perspective, it's good to see without the labels, without the words, you know, they say that it keeps you in basically this place of wonder, you know, because it's, uh, if you say, um, like they might use an example, if you, um, see someone and say the particular person come up with all these labels, you know, picture some person, all of our, our mind is filling in the gaps with all of our, you know, previous information and blah, blah, blah. So they say like basically understanding stops or you might use words like wonder and curiosity where if you really don't know, if it's like something you you haven't seen before, which is actually the case for anybody that you're meeting for the first time, you haven't seen them. Like obviously you're filling in the gap because of all of your previous data, data that you have about what a human is, what a this and that, what a Canadian, what an American, blah, 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 and all of these things. But really, it's a completely unique individual that you know nothing about. And it's like, if we remembered that, the amount of wonder and curiosity, I mean, it should be when you meet a stranger, it should almost be like you're just seeing some sort of creature for the very first time, you know, it should be a really special and interesting thing. And I'm sure it is for some, but I, I'm speaking for myself of sometimes we can, you know, not, not maybe realize how unique, you know, each one of us really are. Yeah, it is crazy. Like, I, I think you and I, you and I talk about this sometimes, but we, uh, <laughs> we both tend to get kind of awestruck about, uh, what would you say? Artistic, romantic individuals, mystical individuals, let's say, you know, yeah. what do you mean? Like, um, like people that are really into mysticism, cause you and I tend to be a bit more practical in our approach to philosophy, mm. but then you have these groups of people who, man, like they're talking about stuff that for me, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know why you're talking about that stuff. Like it's just, it just doesn't, I, I can't, bring it down to earth. And maybe that's a shortcoming of, of my perspective. But what's interesting about that is that those people, man, they're, they could be, they, they could even be happier than you and I, right. And they, oh, they could completely. be living a better life and they have better relationships, but yeah, but it's just, for me, it just doesn't work. And, you know, I think you're right that every, every person, every person you meet, man, there's so much, there's so much individuality there. And, uh, and I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that 
I try and tell myself regularly whenever I start to you know, judge someone for a particular thing, whether it's like the homeless guy that's asking for money or, or, or someone that's just pissing me off or something like that is because I try and tell myself, it's like, that's a human being. It's like, that's a, that's a human being. That's a person right there. It's like, you better be very careful on how you're thinking about another human being, you know, um, especially given as, as you and I just spoke about just how different we are. And we, I think we assume naturally that everyone else thinks like we do, but man, it's not true at all. Like some people are thinking in a completely different light than I, I can't even comprehend and it yeah. just doesn't make sense to me. But then you look at, at, you know, how happy they are and, and their relationships and, and it's like, well, maybe I'm the idiot here. <laughs> maybe they got it. <laughs> maybe they got it right. And I, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like in a, in a weird way of um, like sometimes when you think of the oneness, like this interconnectedness of us all, it's like, yes, like in a way, you know, these 8 billion humans or whatever. And you think of, uh, I don't know. I'm just speaking for myself, like this, this visual of like a, you know, a brick wall or something, you know, it's all kind of connected, but that's, that's really not right. Cause it's like, it's more like, like an engine of a car. Like there's all these different little pieces and different, you know, we all these different perspectives and unique, um, like in the way of that meaning, like making this meaning, you know, like as a whole, like as a society. You know, we want everyone, and another thing these existentialists talk about is like becoming who you are, like making that meaning that aligns with that unique skill set and ability and perspective and gift that you bring to this thing. You know, we're not all bricks in a wall type of thing. You know, it's this like constellation or it's this like, you know, engine with 8 billion different little pieces that all serve a purpose, you know, hopefully. And it's that thing of um, falling into nihilism is maybe in a way connected with, you know, you're not quite seeing how you fit into this bigger picture. You're not quite seeing that you're, you're needed, you know, in this constellation or in this you know, complex engine of, of, of human nature, you know, you're, you're needed and in a way maybe called to whether you call it meaning, you know, but you're, I don't know. I like the, I like the word of calling, but in a way it's like, we're called to tap into that, you know, we're called to, you know, find the courage to, to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, and I think that's, that's interest, right? What, what's calling you. Uh, and the great, the great example that we've used in the past, which I'll have to, I just have to dig into it, is a band, is 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 music. Uh, you know, you can imagine like if you if you grew up on an island of of twenty people, and there was no instruments, but but everybody sang, right? Like you were taught how to sing, and you knew how to sing. And then you go in, you go to the mainland, and you say, I'm I'm going to present my music to the world. So you go, and you sing on stage. And everyone says, oh, yeah, like, what a nice voice, right? Singing a cappella. And then you sit in the audience and then the drummer gets up by himself and he's beating the drums. You probably think to yourself, what the hell is that guy doing, right? <laughs> like he's, he, he's doing something completely different than me. He's flaying his arms. He, he's, he's beating something. Like, what, what the hell is that? And there's different sounds coming out of it. And then the drummer sits down and then the guitarist gets up. And you think, well, what the hell is that? That's not, that's not music either. Like he's, he's got these little strings that he's playing and he's, you know, this is completely different from what I was doing and from what the drummer was doing. And then some guy comes up with a, with this flute thing and he blows into it and there's sounds coming out and you think, well, what the hell's going on here now? And then what's interesting about that is that if the singer started singing and then you put the drummer on stage and then he started, he started with the bass drum, right? And he's, 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 he's going along with the singer. And the guitarist comes in and he starts playing along in the same light. And then you get the flute coming in to, to do some, some harmony notes. It's like all of a sudden, man, even though you have no idea what the hell is going on, what that drummer's doing, what, what, the, what the flautist is doing, 
it doesn't matter. All you know is that something's working here. What they're doing is complimenting me in my life. Mm-hmm. And even though I was chosen to be the singer, I can still have appreciation for the drummer. And in fact, I kind of need the drummer because with the drummer, I can create uh, harmony. I can create better harmony in the world. Um, again, I'm a musician, so I try and take lessons from from music. But I think to your point, man, you're absolutely right. It's like we don't need to be all the same brick. It's like you, you we all need to be exactly who we are and we have to have faith that who we are is is who the, is exactly who the cosmos wanted us to be and by playing that note we're contributing to to the greater harmony yeah and how do you know if you're playing that note you know how do you know whether you're whether or not you're like adding value to this big band of the, you know, of, of the human race type of thing. And this, this whole like cosmos type of thing. Mm. So, so difficult. Can I, I know we're starting to wrap up, man, but can I, um, touch on something I put out this morning? Oh yeah. Um, I really love, uh, this particular story and I think it connects, uh, exactly with what you were just talking about. Um, Abraham Lincoln in his first inaugural address, March 4th, 1861. I mean, the, the country's just in total turmoil after he's elected in, in 1860. Basically, the, the South is talking about, um, you know, withdrawing from the Union and all of this type of stuff. And so he writes in this uh, inaugural address. And I'll I'll just read quickly the, the, um, the end of it. He says, I am loath to close. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained it, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory, stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. So beautiful. I swear I'm a big Lincoln fan, but the, the interesting thing, that last line, which is really well known, the better angels of our nature um, which is what I titled that thing that I, I put out this morning on, on the newsletter. Um, Lincoln, unlike, you know, many presidents, uh, most presidents, they put together their cabinet of all of these important positions and they put all their, you know, friends, people that have supported the campaign and people that have like-minded views and stuff like that. Um, it makes me think of, uh, like in the way of that band analogy that you're talking about, you know, bringing in all the people that essentially play the same instrument, you know, it's like all the guitarists, you know, come on in, we're, we're moving in. And, um, this historian, uh, Doris Kearns, I believe is her name, but she wrote this, uh, famous book team of rivals. And he didn't do that. He brought in all of these opposing views, you know, all these people that just, disagreed with them, which is so challenging to do, like from a leadership perspective. And um, that last line wasn't actually even written by him. His line was much more forceful. You know, it was really like um, um, a bit of a, like an antagonistic type of thing. You know, he's like kind of talking down, um, And one of these opposing views, essentially like a band, you know, some of this, this person that plays a different instrument that is seeing things, you know, in a different way and maybe understands the perspective of these people in the South a a bit different or, you know, who, who knows. Um, But the, that end, like, you know, that call to the better angels of our nature which to me in a way like it connects with what we've been talking about, this meaning of a life. It's, 
you know, it's towards that, the, the good, you know, that, that is within us. How do we tap into that? How do we find our, our, you know, our, our way to, to love one another, to see each other, not as, not as enemies, but as friends. It's a fascinating thing. I love that story that it came from actually one of those opposing views. And I'm sure that comes up in, in bands, like these people that are creating great music, great art. Yeah, you can be in the same band and you can still dialogue about issues. You can still, you know, disagree. Um, so it's it's not that you're just all like, you know, there's no sort of tension what whatsoever. We're all just in the same band. You know, the, there is a bit of, of that. Like you can work towards a common goal and, and we're stronger together. Um, but yeah, it's such a, it's such a difficult thing. It seems like to, to actually embody, you know, and, and put that into practice of like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to bring in all of this team of rivals and that's going to, you know, it's like, it's amazing when people are able to actually like put wisdom into, into practice and, you know, make some of these wise, wise decisions and embody that in life. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. It, it reminds me of a quote I just read before I came on here. Nice. It said, if it said something like, if all you're going to do is say back to me what I say and walk where I walk and do what I do, my shadow can do that better. <laughs> Meaning yeah. what I need from you as a friend, as another member of this wonderful, beautiful, tragic existence is not to reinforce all my false beliefs, but to show me another belief that may be just as true or more true than what I'm seeing, but I'm not seeing because I'm a flawed individual. Yeah. And I think that's that's the point that you were hitting on there. Beautiful. Let's wrap it up right there, man. What do you think? We're going to wrap it up. Let's do it. Paradoxically speaking, Substack, check it out. Check it out. Stack the subs. <laughs> Is that stuff, why it's called Substack? Stack it up. Cool. Peace.